yourselves a hand. You got out of bed this morning. Come on. You got out of bed this morning. You deserve a round of applause. I just want to say real quick that we do, we do not support skipping church this fall, really. Um, but we miss butter. So uh, <laughs> we, we, um, we miss him because we allow him to say whatever he wanted to. So um, my name is, again, my name is Pastor Adam Harrell. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called In God We Trust because uh, the fact of the matter is we live our lives like we trust our money more than we trust the God that it says we trust on the cover of it. And so um, last week we began this series, and I just want to give a quick uh, quick review uh, about that as we just jump right in, uh, just running. Jump, jump in and run the next morning. We're going to hit the ground running next week, but that's what we did. Um, let me just say, though, um, this experience will be so much more enjoyable if you participate. Participate with laughter. Our money is a big deal to God. 
Jesus talked more about money than he talked about faith, and he talked about heaven than he talked about hell. Because he knows that if he has the money, he has the heart. Um, but here's what I know about, about money. And that is, the way you view your money, the way you view your finances, um, often determines your approach to finances. So the way you view your money, the way you look at your money, is the way that you approach your money in your life. Um, I've, got, I've got some pictures. Check out this first picture um, on the screen uh, this morning. Uh, be, so many of you, you'll first see this picture, and you'll see uh, two old people. But if you look closer, you see the, the man with the sombrero with his guitar serenading the person uh, that he's looking at while... You've got some creepy lady over here on her ear listening to the whole thing. Another picture, which is a little bit more classic, you guys may may see this one more often, is the classic old and young lady, right? Which one do you see first, the old lady or the young lady? They're both there, right? Or number three, this one is, is a good one. It's not talking about me, by the way. Um, I'm not a liar. It's a face, right? Either it says liar or face. Many of you probably saw the word liar, or the, saw the face first, um, but but really it, it also says says liar. Um, or another one. This one is two faces looking at each other, or it's a, a table or goblet or chess piece. I don't know if that's chess piece. I don't know if that's whatever kind of chess piece you make. And the final one. My favorite one is the baseball one. You guys are looking at this one going, what in the world is it? Now, you can, I'm going to leave that one up there just a little bit longer. Because the question is, is the batter batting right-handed or left-handed? I showed my wife this picture, and she said, I wouldn't be able to tell either way <laughs> if it was right-handed or left-handed. So, so this is batting right-handed, right, looking this way. And this is batting left-handed, pointing this way. So the fact of the matter is he's actually hitting both, right-handed and left-handed. But you always see right-handed first. Now you're going to go home. the money you give us is an opportunity to 
change the world. That we would see it as not our money, not a dime we have is ours, but it's all yours in the first place. So God, I pray that we would give you our hearts and that we would give you our lives, that you would radically transform each one of us because God, that is our goal today, to be transformed by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What would happen if you started looking at our pocketbook and saw a future of heaven and saw it as a way of God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would happen if we started looking at our money not as revenue, but as a future and a hope for our world? When we find a way to see beyond our checkbooks, in money, our money, what happens is our money comes to life. And what happens when our money comes to life is then we start to see our money as an opportunity to touch someone else's life and have their life forever changed. Our problem, though, is oftentimes we think that in order to be generous, we have to be rich. In order to allow our money to change someone else's life, we have to have a lot of it. But I think the Bible teaches us differently. Last week we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to stay there this morning. So you can turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles. Put your finger there. Also flip over to chapter 9. Or you can follow along in our YouVersion Bible app, in your YouVersion Bible app on your phone. We've got all of today's notes there for you. You can follow right along and uh, know what I'm going to say in case I forget any notes that you have. Um, just a little bit about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So, this letter is written by a guy by the name of Pastor Paul or the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he started, a lot like my wife and I did. We started the Refuge Church. The Apostle Paul went to a city called Corinth and he started the Corinthian church. And while he was, after that, he left and he, re- and he responded to them with letters. Now, just for the record, I want the record to know that I don't plan on leaving the Refuge Church and sending you letters all the time, but that's the way it happened in the Bible. And so, not only did he send them one letter to the Corinthian church, but he sent them multiple letters. And so, the second letter is called Second Corinthians. That's where we're at this morning. And as he's writing Second Corinthians, he's writing them, and he's telling them about this church in this city called Macedonia. And he's telling the Corinthian church about how generous the city of Ma- uh, the, the church of Macedonia is. But remember, he said that there were some things going on in the church of Macedonia. He said, number one, they were troubled. They had troubles going on. Number two, he said they were poor. So they're troubled by their affliction, and they're also poor. But then the third thing that he says about the, the, the church of Macedonia is that they are rich in their generosity. They're rich in the way that they give. And so last week we came up with this formula. And the formula was this. Poverty plus joy equals generosity. Poverty 
plus joy equals generosity. But we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that word poverty. You see, I think a lot of times when we talk about poverty, we think of the person, the panhandler on the street corner asking and begging for money, holding up a cardboard sign, saying I'm broke. <laughs> My favorite one, I'll bet you a dollar you need this sign. That's a great one. So, like, oftentimes we see poverty as this really poor state, people that really need a lot. And here's the common, the common thing about all poverty. All has a need. See, the definition of poverty this morning is anytime a need is presented. And so now, if you look at the formula, it's anytime a need is presented, met with joy equals generosity. Come on, somebody, you understand what I'm saying? And so anytime a need is, is presented plus generosity, or plus joy equals generosity. But I know how a lot of us think. Again, if I had more money, I'd have more joy. If I had more money, I'd be a lot more joyful, and I'd be a lot more generous. If only I had more money, then it, the joy part would be easy. If only I would have been the one to hit that $1.5 billion jackpot in South Carolina. Come on, somebody, right? I instantly text all my pastor friends in South Carolina. Wait till the weekend. Wait till the weekend. Wait till the weekend. That is a $150 million pie. Do you understand that? All pastors are the same. <laughs> it's not about the number of zeros on the end of a check that allows you to be generous. It's not about the number of zeros that you write in a check to give back to God. It's about the amount of sacrifice. It can, be, it can be a penny. It can be a widow's mite, as the Bible puts it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's read it, 1 through 4, verse 1 through 4. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. Again, this is, he's writing Corinth about the church of Macedonia. Verse 2, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has allowed them to overflow with rich generosity. Verse 3, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than they could afford. And they did it of their own free will. Verse 4 is where we're going to focus today. Verse 4 says, they begged us again and again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift to the believers of Jerusalem. And then if you flip over to chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much you will give and, give relu and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This isn't to pressure you today. For God loves the person who gives generously. goal is to get to cheerful. And so let's talk just for a few minutes about 
this second letter in 2 Corinthians. But before we do, we're going to talk about the first letter. Because in the first letter in chapter 16, verse 3, he said this. He said, when I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose or you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. He's saying that the person that delivers the gift into Jerusalem to those people, I'm going to write a letter of recommendation for. I'm going to give them a blessing. But the question now is, why in the world is the church in Corinth, or in the church in Macedonia, why is the church in Macedonia giving to the people in Jerusalem? What's going on there? Like, that's my ultimate question, right? Like, that's, that's the first place that my mind goes. What's going on in Jerusalem that, that Jerusalem needs money? And here's what, what we miss if you just read through the passage without really thinking about it. What's happening in Jerusalem is Jesus has come to save the world, to die for his people, the Jewish nation. He's died in their place, and when they come to him as Messiah, he's, they're leaving the Jewish faith, and they're being persecuted by their own families for putting their faith in Jesus, because the Jews are sitting here saying, we don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. We don't, we don't believe that he's the Messiah. Like, he wouldn't come like that. He would come to free us politically, and he would come to make us rich. And he, Jesus didn't do that. And so what people are doing in Jerusalem is they're giving their hearts to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, when you give your heart to Jesus, it costs you. It costs you more than your money. It costs you so much more. Because I would be a lousy preacher if I got up here and I didn't tell you about the cost that it takes to follow Jesus. It's about so much more than this money. And the people in Jerusalem are experiencing this in a very real way. Because their families are leaving them. Their families are kicking them out. And because they are being kicked out of their families, they have a need. And so the church rallies together and says, you know what, let's help them out. That's why Macedonia is sending them money. That's why Paul is writing to Corinth to tell them about the generosity of the people in Macedonia. Now, there's this interesting thing about the word gift that's there. And I'm not going to bore you with Greek, Greek words and things like that, but when you really dig into the Greek word for the word gift there, what it's translated in English to is the word grace or favor. What Paul is saying is whoever it is that sends grace and favor on, on your behalf to the people in Jerusalem, I'm going to bless them for it. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, they're saying, what, what Paul is saying is they beg for the opportunity to show the people in Jerusalem grace and favor. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are, when you are generous, when you give, you are exactly like Jesus. When you give, you are expressing a godly characteristic, the godly characteristic of grace and favor. And so today I want to give us just three quick things 
that will hopefully help us change the way we look at our pocketbooks, a new pocketbook perspective. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Generosity is a gift to the receiver and the giver. Generosity is a gift to both the receiver and the giver. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus said while he was on the, on the earth that it is better to give than it is to receive. You've heard that before. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, our theme verse of the day, it says, They beg us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. For the believers in Jerusalem. The only way that a church would ever beg a pastor to take up a collection. (laughs) Can you wrap your minds around that for a minute? The people are coming to church. I can't wait for the offering. Yeah. I can't wait for the opportunity to give to those people in Jerusalem because there is a need there. And the only way that they're going to beg for that is, number one, if they have the joy to give. And number two, if they understand that there is a need there. If they understand the need. When you give, you unlock God's provision in someone else's life. And when you give, you become an instrument for God to bring life to someone else's and to someone else's life. When you give, you unlock the ability for God to pour out his blessings. Now, it's obvious that the giver is blessed with the, with the gift. Or, I'm sorry, with, that, the, that the receiver is blessed with the gift. It's obvious that the one receiving is, is blessed by it. But maybe what's not so obvious, obvious is that the one that's giving the gift is actually far more blessed than the person that's receiving the gift. Here's something I want to make abundantly clear this morning. And that is that you cannot earn God's blessing in your life. When you give, you do not give to earn his blessing. However, when you do give, you enable God to bless you. It's about enabling him to open up the floodgates of heaven in your life. Enabling him to give you the abundant life that he offers to us. It's not about earning it. You cannot earn anything when it comes to God. You can't earn your salvation. It's not about how good you are. Going to heaven is not about how good of a person you are. Going to heaven is about the faith that you have put in Jesus to get you there. You can't earn God's favor in your life. You can't earn his blessing, but you can enable it. So oftentimes... So oftentimes we want maximum blessing. I said this last week. We want maximum blessing with minimum effort. We want to get skinny without going to the gym. We want to get skinny without eating fat cake. Shout out to iCarly. We want, like, we want maximum blessing with minimum effort. We want to get to step two without going through step one. 
That's our human nature. But God is a God of process and a God of order. And so oftentimes, we can't skip to the blessing without giving them our heart. We can't skip to the blessing without surrender. We can't skip to the blessing without sacrifice. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, I alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to read it for you now. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my, uh, in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out the blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test, he said. God is a God of order. And if we want the windows of heaven to be open exactly like Malachi said. He says we have to test him by giving our tithes to him first. Tithes is in the 10% of what you give now. I talked last week. I'm not going to go back a week and listen to the sermon on that reference that got church last Wednesday. But a tithe is just a good way, a good place to start. 10% is just a good place to start. Because if you want to talk about New Testament giving, you give out of grace, and you give about you give out of what God has already given you. And because He has given us so much in the blood of Jesus Christ, He has given us so much. You want to give out of grace, give out of grace. I would love for you to give out of grace. But I'm only asking for ten percent. And I'm not asking for it. God is. It's not me. That's what God says. God says, You only give me ten percent to test me. that for a moment. After all that God has given us, he only asks us for 10%. I'll do that all day, every day. If I only got 10% return on an investment, next investment, please. I'm not, I'm not a smart money guy, but I know that 10% return is not much. But that's all God asks of us. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. And then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will, be, will overflow with good wine. God says, honor me and I will honor you. Give to me and your cupboard will be full. The God that gave the money to us in the first place can manage it far better than we can. How can we expect God's provision in our lives when God isn't our treasurer? It all belongs to him anyway. He can manage it far better than we can. So many people are chained to the bondage of financial difficulty. And what they don't understand is that they're holding the key to that bondage the entire time. And that key has a name. The name is generosity. To when poverty, when a need is presented plus joy, it equals generosity. What happens is when I have my hands tightly around my my money tightly around my paycheck 
with that same $10 bill that I had last week. It's the exact same one. I am so cheap. I haven't spent this $10 in a whole week. When I get my money so tightly around my 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 bills, my, my dollar bills, my dollar dollar bill, y'all. Like when I keep my money around my, my, my bills, my hands are closed to God's blessing in my life. But when I open it up to give it away, my hands become open to receive it. Give me my money. When I open my hands, I can receive. But if my hands are held tightly, I can't receive. 2 Corinthians 8, 4, they beg against us again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift of believers in Jerusalem. That word sharing is so important. When I was two years old, I learned how to share. I didn't like it. You didn't like it either. But you know what I learned about sharing as a two-year-old? That in order to share, I needed someone else to participate. I needed someone else to share with. Because you see, sharing is something that we have to do together. Which brings us to number two. Number two is generosity is always best when it is done together. When it is done as a team. Generosity is always best when it is done as a team. My pastor, PD, Pastor Derek, he would say this. He said he would say generosity is an all-play activity. It's all-play. We should all play a part in it. It's so much easier for us to give generously when others around us are giving generously. However, don't fall into this trap. I'll just rely on everyone else to be generous, and I'll just live off of mine. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything for your heart. That doesn't do anything for your finances. When you rely on everyone else to do it, it's not about relying on everyone else to do it, but it's about doing it together. We get this idea that generosity is for someone else. Can you imagine if 100% of the people that are in this room right now, 100% of the people in this room right now were to get a hold of the concept of giving back to God. Can you imagine what little old refuge church that's only 19 months old could do for this community? If 100% of the people in this room gave. Our community has a lot of need. I believe that our church can make a difference in this community. In Portland, not just Wyndham, but Portland, if 100% gave generously. Do you know how many event centers the city of Wyndham has? I say event centers, like rooms that 500 people could gather in. You're sitting in it. You're sitting in it. Now, our church obviously has a need for event centers. Do you, are you comprehending with me what, what can happen here? When God provides the need for the church, he can provide the need for the community. 
but it all starts with our generosity. Uh, this last week, I wasn't I wasn't planning on it because I am I am thrilled with the high school. I love love our relationship with the high school. I love what God is doing here. But this last week, I had the opportunity to fall on my lap to go and look at a few um, a few places where our, our church could possibly meet in. It fell in my lap. I, w- I wasn't going to do it, but I did. And you know what I learned? I learned that, number one, we're not far off. But number two, <laughs> Wyndham has a need. There is a need for an event center in our, com- in our, in our community. We need a place to, to be able to, to assemble and to, to talk and to, to, to meet. And I, I, just, I just want to throw that out there, that our community has a need, that also our church has a need. And I believe that when God meets the need of the church, he'll meet the need of the community, not the other way around. Too many churches, I'm about to get started, too many churches have been relying on the community to meet their needs. But the church exists to meet the needs of the community. Don't get me started on that because it's not in my notes. As a church and as a church leadership, it is our job to, number one, make it as easy as possible for you to give. That's why we have three different ways that you can give, to make it as easy as possible. And number two, to use the gifts that God gives us to meet the needs of the world around us. And so today, today we're rolling out this new, this new giving solution. Now, you will not recognize, most of you will not even recognize what we're doing. But for the last 19 months, we've been using this company called Planning Center to, um, to, to receive offering online. Uh, when you go to our Refuge Church website, refugemain.church slash give, you can give to the Refuge Church. And we've been using this, this thing called Planning Center. And this is why I'm boring you with it, because it's really important. When you go to give today, you, you'll go and it won't send you to Planning Center, but it'll send you to this company called DECA, or this, this website that's powered by this company called DECA. Deca is the Greek word for tithe. Deca is a Christian company that wants to give back to churches. And so what, what Deca does is um, they take 10% of our processing fees that, uh, that we're paying anyway. We're paying it through Planning Center right now. And so they're going to take 10% and they're going to give it to missions and give it to, the world, to, to reach the world. They're going to give it to church planting so that we can reach the world through our processing fees. But the other thing that they do is if, if there's anyone in, in our church that owns a business that does processing fees, any type of processing fees, if, if, your, if your business wants to switch over to DECA Solutions, what they do is they take 20% of your processing fees and give it back to our church. They don't hike up your processing fee in order... To, to, to provide that 20%, they take the, 20, the, they take the processing fees that they're already taking, that, they're, that you're already using to pay for it, and they 
allow you the opportunity to bless your church without ever even seeing the money. How many of you would give to the church if you didn't even see the money in the first place? Come on, somebody. Like you would be, a, it would be a lot easier. That's why we have um, the ability to to set up reoccurring gifts, by the way. And this this transition, and this is the last thing that I'll say about it. This transition will only affect those of you that have set up reoccurring gifts on our website. So if you've set up a reoccurring gift, then I want to ask you to for this week to go onto our website to give on our website and set that up already. And when you do, we will delete your old one so that you do not get charged twice for your tithe. You won't give 20% this week, you'll give 10%. We'll, we'll delete it, and if something happens, right, if something happens and um, and you get charged twice, we will refund your money, all right? We'll, we'll give it right back to you, just let us know. Also, our church, and, and our church believes so much in this principle of giving to God. That if you give to God for 90 days and you do not see any blessing at all, we will give you 100% of the money back that you gave into our church. That's always. That's, that's, that's for the life of our church. We call it our 90-day money-back guarantee. I haven't really talked a whole lot about it recently. But since we're talking about money, I might as well let you know how much we believe in this concept. That we'll give you 100% back. You just have to show us what you, or and we'll, we'll keep records so we know what you've given. But we will give it all back to you. DECA is a game changer for our church. Because it allows us to reach the world with the gospel. That's one thing that we can do to maximize our ability to impact the world. But you, can you imagine, can you imagine? what we can do with the money that God gives us to reach this world, to start more churches, to see people come to know Jesus, to build a community center for our entire community, to see people's lives change just the way that your life has been changed in cities like Portland and Westbrook and the county. I would love to plant a refuge church in the county, but it's going to require you to be faithful. It's going to re- require our generosity. I said earlier that we're not far off from having our own space. There's three things that we need if it's going to happen. Number one, we need more morale. Morale means team unity. We need to come together. We need you behind us. We need your support. We need you to have each other's back. We need you not to gossip. We need you to take care of each other. We need you to see that there's a need and fill it. We need more morale. We need more muscle. We need more people on our team so that we can take care of a building. Having a building requires work. And if we're gonna, if God's gonna bless us with a building, we need more more morale. We need more muscle, and then we need more money. The fact of the matter is, I said we're not far off because right now, right now we're we're giving um, we're giving four thousand dollars a month, close to, not quite, but close to, to meet this need. It's expensive, but owning your building is more expensive. So we need more money, more morale, muscle, and money. And I believe with all of my heart that we're not far off of any of those. 
because God has already shown what he can do in 19 months. Are you kidding me? We're not even two years old yet. And God is doing so much because the fact of the matter is, is we don't have a lot of outside money coming in. And most churches that are 19 months are being supported by other organizations. I want to say thank you for all that you have given to our church so that we don't have to rely on outside organizations. Which brings me to number three. The third thing and the last thing that we're going to talk about today is that giving is not an obligation but an opportunity. Giving is not an obligation but an opportunity. So giving is a blessing to both the giver and the receiver. We need to do it together. Generosity is done, best done together. And finally, giving should not be an obligation, but an opportunity. Last, last, the last series we did, we talked about love over obligation. Doing the things that we do out of the love for God rather than being obligated to God. It's not a check in the, in the box. We don't take up an offering on Sunday morning to check off the box. We take up an offering not to rob you of the blessing that God desperately wants to give you, that he already has given you, and he wants to give you so much more. Poverty plus joy equals generosity. The refuge is simply a channel where our finances can cooperatively reach the needs of the world. Let me just say for a moment. I realize when you give to the Refuge Church that it is the ultimate sign of trust. We just happen to be the, the, the thing that God has ordained for you to give in order to show that you trust Him. You see, some of you are sitting here, sitting in your seat and you're saying, I, I trust God, Pastor Adam, with my money. My problem is I don't trust you. I get that. I completely get that. So what I want to do today, that's, that's why we offer our 90-day money-back guarantee, by the way. Because if you don't trust us, trust us enough that we'll give it back to you. How's that? We want to remove all of the doubt that we could cause. I realize when you give to our church, you're saying, all right, Refuge, I trust you. I trust you enough with my money. And because when you give to us, you are trusting us, As the pastor of this church, I want to say thank you. Because I know it's not easy to win a Mainer's trust. It's not. So thank you for trusting us. 
because we're the, we're the human element. And we want to do everything we can to remove that doubt. Or to remove your doubt. So, so we want to offer you a 90-day money-back guarantee. That if there's any time that you don't like what has happened, that we'll give it back to you. And for those of you that haven't given to the Refuge Church yet, I want to say we will do everything that we can to be trustworthy of your debt. But this isn't about us. This isn't about, about you giving, giving the Refuge Church your money. I, I hope and I pray that my heart has been, has been able to be seen. That it's not about us. It's about what God has for you. Because unfortunately, according to this word, and, and the reason I say unfortunately is because I like my money. And I'm sure you do too. But this word, this, this book, it lays it all out there for us. And the reason God, Jesus talks so much about money is because that in order for him to have your heart, he had to have your money. He said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. I wish it wasn't like that. But it is. And I thank God that he has given me something tangible in my life. That I can prove to him that I trust him. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. I want to talk about that just for a moment. Do me a favor. As we talk about your heart, let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and stand to your feet. Do all three of those things. Bow your heads, close your eyes, stand to your feet. If you need to stand up before you close your eyes, I totally get that. Your heart. Some of you may sit there and say, Pastor Adam, why should I give God my heart? I'm glad you asked. The reason you should give God your heart is because he has given you everything that you could ever possibly desire. Because he has met the ultimate need that all of us have. You see, the Bible says that we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all fallen short of what God expects from us. That's why the whole Old Testament was written about the law, to prove that we needed God in order to obey Him. That we need Him to do it. We need Him in our lives to save us. The law was there to prove our need for Him. Not to follow it in obedience. So this morning, I want you to know that because God knew that we couldn't get to him on our own, he sent us grace in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. He sent us forgiveness for everything that we have done that he was not approved, approved of, that he, that he was upset by. 
So he sends his son Jesus to die in our place so that we can now have a relationship with him again. And Jesus died the most brutal death. When they took him off that cross, they took him to a tomb, and he was in that tomb for three days. And thank God he didn't stay there. But he came back to life to prove that you can live in life if you give him your heart. So God, all he asks of us is for our hearts. I can't help but to believe that there's got to be someone in this room that would say, Pastor Adam, I've not given my heart yet. I've given him a few other things. I've even given him some money. But he doesn't have my heart yet. Is there anyone that would be bold enough that would raise their hand and say, God doesn't have my heart yet? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? All right, Christian, let me ask you, what are you doing to prove to God that he has your heart? Our treasure can be defined as our our time, our talent, and our money. Our time, our talent, and our money. What are you doing to prove to God? What are you giving back to him to prove to him that he has your heart? going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song, and after the song is over, we're going to be dismissed. My friends are here at the stairs. Elaine is on my left, on your right. Dave is on my right, on your left. They would love to pray with you. And anything that is a prayer need that needs to be shared with me, they will let me know. They want to pray with you. I, I, it is always our desire that if anyone comes into this, this building with a need, that it would be met with prayer. That's why they're here. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have proven to us that we can give you our hearts. God, that time and time and time again as we give to you, Lord, you give back to us in abundance. Father, I pray for abundance this week for abundant blessings this week. God, if there's anyone in this space that doesn't know you as their Savior and their Lord, I pray that they would have the courage to come to Dave and come to Elaine and to to tell them that they just need to give Jesus their life. They just need to give Jesus their heart. Father, that's why we exist. We exist to show people that when trials and storms come into life, That when they run to Jesus as their salvation, when they run to Jesus as their refuge, that storm will never overwhelm them. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing this song together.